Good morning, and as we stand, let's bow our heads to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak your living word to us in the scriptures. Lord, sometimes you say hard but true things that we don't want to hear. This morning, by your Holy Spirit, give us willing hearts and open ears to hear your voice and to be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do take a seat. Now, I have here in my pocket something I want to show you as we begin. This is our marriage certificate. It's a little, it's a little bit dog-eared now. It's, uh, it's older than I, than I can quite believe. But uh, it has been signed by uh, Vivian and by me and by witnesses. And this certificate confirms that Vivian and I made promises to each other on the 28th of March, 1981. I even remember the date. The 28th of March, 1981, a long time ago now. And Vivian promised to me that she would be my wife and would continue to love me for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death us do part. And I promised to Vivian that I would be her husband in the same unconditional way, whatever happens between that day and the day that one of us dies. And I have depended on that promise that Vivian made to me every day of my life since. Let's hear God's perspective on this. We can do that because in Malachi chapter 2, which is the next section in our series on uh, the prophet Malachi, we can hear God talking to his people through the prophets. Uh, it would be great if you could have that open in front of you. If you haven't already, it is there uh, on page 801 in the Bibles that are in the pews. We're looking at Malachi chapter 2 and verses 10 to 16. And my title for this is Do Not Be Faithless. God is speaking to the people of Judah. This is after the return from the Babylonian exile, about 400 years before the coming of Christ was a time of spiritual decline, skepticism about the word of God, neglect of God's commands, widespread breakdown of family life. In other words, they were in a situation disturbingly similar to our own in this country today. I have four points to make from these verses. First of all, God's people have broken faith with one another. Look at verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? The people Malachi is addressing here are the Jews, the covenant people of God. So when he says, have we not all one Father? He's thinking primarily in that narrow sense. In our terms, 
from a New Testament perspective, which is how we read these prophecies, he is talking, if you like, to the wider church, to those who call themselves Christians, who claim allegiance to Christ. And we mustn't forget that this country constitutionally claims to be Christian still. And it claims to live under the rule of Christ. And what is more still, about half of the population at least do call themselves Christian. However, in another sense, all people are God's people in the sense that God is the creator of us all. Has not one God created us? And that is very important when we come to think about marriage and family because marriage is not just an institution for believers. It is a creation ordinance. It is a gift of God to everyone. Hence the foundational family life texts in the Bible come in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. I spoke about that uh, a month ago. If you were here then, you would have heard that. Uh, If you weren't and you want to look at that, you can find it on the website. Marriage is built into the very fabric of creation as God designed it and he commanded it because he wanted us to know his blessings. So that's right at the start of the Old Testament. What's the situation by the time we come to the end of the Old Testament, to Malachi here, God's people are being faithless to one another. What does that mean? It means breaking promises, breaking trust, breaking faith, being unfaithful. How is that happening? Verse 11. Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. God's people have married the daughters of foreign foreign gods. Now let's be clear, the issue here is not ethnicity or race, it is idolatry. Because the Lord had warned them that marrying those who worshipped false gods would drag God's people into the same idolatry, and he'd been proved right. But there's another underlying issue. This was forbidden. So these relationships were entered into in clear breach of God's commands. What's the equivalent for us today? Certainly the issue of believers marrying unbelievers remains. There's also the wider application to relationships that are contrary to God's clear commands. Casual sexual relationships, homosexual relationships, cohabitation without marriage. All these fall into that category. In the mid-1960s, the proportion of women marrying for the first time who lived with their husbands before marriage was 5%. By the 1990s, it was around 70%. It's now somewhere around 90, 90%. 90%. In 1964, the proportion of births that took place outside marriage was 7%. Now it's over 50% for the first time since records began, which was back in 1845. And in the words of the Marriage Foundation, this matters. 
because unmarried couples are far more likely to split up than married couples. The equation is simple. Fewer marriages means more family breakdown. Back in Judah, even where the marriages were in line with God's will in the first place, there is a problem. So, uh, second part of verse 14. The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. What is a covenant? It is a binding promise. You have broken the promise you made to your wife, God says. Second part of verse 15. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. But in all these ways, we fall under the same rebuke as those Jews 2,400 years ago. A century ago, in this country, there were a few hundred divorces each year. In 1961, there were 25,000. Now it's over 100,000. God's people have broken faith with one another. That's the first point. Secondly, when we break faith with one another, we are also breaking faith with God. We profane the covenant of our fathers. Verse 10. We profane the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. Verse 11. The sanctuary is the temple. In New Testament terms, the temple is both Christ himself and the church, which is the body of Christ. When we break faith, we are dishonoring Christ and desecrating his body and his bride. So we cannot isolate the way that we treat one another from the way that we treat God. When we break faith with one another, we break faith with God as well. That's point two. Thirdly, God finds breaking faith repulsive. And that is literally true. When we break faith with one another and we break faith with God, our relationship with God is cut off and we are repelled from him. A gulf is created, not just in our families, but between us and God. God finds breaking faith repulsive. When we break faith, it is watched closely by God. Verse 14. The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. It is a detestable thing. Verse 11. Abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. It is a desecration of what God loves. Back in chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord says, I have loved you. God loves those he witnesses being wounded by unfaithfulness. Verse 12, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. It's no good putting up a good spiritual front, coming to church, saying all the right things, whilst blatantly and unrepentantly disobeying 
God. Breaking faith is hated by God. And he hates the violence, both physical violence sometimes and emotional violence always that is involved in breaking faith. Verse 16, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. God knows what is best for us all and he wants what is best for us all and he commands us to live in a way that is best for us all. So when we reject his commands and break faith in family life, we cause great suffering as a result of what you might call our emotional violence. And you can see that happening here in Judah. Verse 13, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Life is going badly for them. They are miserable. They're suffering. And they're blaming God. But the reason for their suffering lies in the breakdown of marriage and family life brought on by the fact that they are breaking faith. Verse 14. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And we experience the same thing all around us and in our own families too. The environment in our culture is tough for parents. Much on the media is promoting promiscuity, maligning marriage, encouraging illegitimacy, and what's the result of it all? Everyone gets hurt, and especially the children. When we break faith with one another, we cause great suffering. And God witnesses all of it. There is nowhere for us to hide from God. God finds breaking faith repulsive. And yet, despite all that, he never breaks faith with his people. In fact, that's why he hates it so much. It is utterly contrary to his character. So in chapter 3, Verse 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So then the final point is this. Fourthly, God calls us to return to him. Because God himself keeps faith, there's always hope for us. Whatever we've done, there's always forgiveness in Christ if we return to him and not just forgiveness for us as individuals for us as a church in this country and for us as a nation there is great blessing to be found in returning to God and in living in obedience to his word and his ways that's wonderfully expressed in uh, Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 to the end of the prophecy but for you who fear my name The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And again, right at the end of the prophecy in chapter 4, verse 6, and he, the coming prophet, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children 
to their fathers. That is, when we turn back to God, broken family relationships will be restored. There is great blessing in obedience. But if we don't return, the suffering will simply intensify. So 4 verse 6 goes on, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. We have to be quite clear that there can be no restoration of our relationship with God without also a renewed commitment to obedience to his commands. So chapter 4 verse 4 says, Remember the law of my servant Moses. And now after the coming of Christ, we need to add, Remember the words of Jesus, not least on marriage and divorce. And learn to be faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to one another, faithful in singleness, faithful in marriage, faithful to our families. Second part of verse 16 of chapter 2. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Keeping faith generates a warmth in family life that powers the whole nation. But when God-given restraints are burst open, as more and more people break faith in marriage and family life, that power that should be such a source of blessing instead lays waste vast swathes of society like a devastating flood. None of us is unaffected by this flood of breaking faith that's been taking place over the last generation. Some of us have been directly on the receiving end of it. Some of us, no doubt, have broken faith ourselves. Others have been caught up indirectly in the fallout. All too many of us carry the scars or the still open wounds. For all of us, there is hope. And that hope is found in Jesus. Where forgiveness is needed and asked for, Jesus gives it. The debts to God that we've amassed because of our failures, he has already written off at the cross. Where emotional healing is needed, Jesus provides it, though healing takes time. As Isaiah said prophetically of Jesus, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. So we don't need to be afraid. But we do need to return to God by faith in Christ, day in and day out. And with his help, in whatever state of life God has placed us, we need to commit ourselves to keeping faith in our singleness, in our families, in our marriages. And then we will be on the receiving end of God's great faithfulness to us. And by the grace of God, the tide will turn and the sea of suffering caused by breaking faith will recede and the blessings of family life, faithful family life, will spread more and more widely once again. So let's be praying that it will be so. Let's be working for it to be so. We need to be ourselves a distinctive community. We need to bear witness to the society around us that there is another way. By what we teach, by how we live, we need to show that keeping faith hand in hand with forgiveness works. Let's pray now.
So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Lord God, you are our one Father. You created us. You have been so faithful to us. Despite our faithlessness, you have never broken faith with us. Father, we're sorry for all the times we have broken faith. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the blood of Jesus that washes us clean and gives us a fresh start. By your grace and in your mercy, teach us to be like Jesus and to keep faith. And use our witness, Lord, to help turn the tide of sin and suffering in this nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.